Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, and pop culture. You can also catch us at uh, BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. We have a simulcast on our page each week where we also go into deep dives on uh, three to four topics a week in the entertainment and gaming world. You can also get our quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine. You can catch us on Sci-Fi Radio at Sci-Fi, um, <coughs> excuse me, Sci-Fi.com. You can also catch our uh, articles on um, in PanalCentral.com, keyword Skewed, as it's a network of newspapers where our reviews are. So we didn't have anything last week due to the holiday and the crazy schedule. So we'll be doing a little bit of catch-up with some of the stories from last week we didn't get to, as well as some newer stories. And I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. And I wanted to start off with just something that popped in through town. I got by to have a look at it on Friday. And that is Jurassic Quest. If you have young children and they would like to go see an animatronic and static display dinosaur exhibit that also has some interactive areas, uh, such as a sandbox to dig for fossils, uh, interactive um, rides are available, everything from a bounce house to riding dinosaurs, souvenirs and things like that. That is currently going on uh, through the end of the day today at uh, Bellbank Park in Mesa. And then they're heading off to Abilene, Texas for uh, next weekend. And then after that, Hartford, Connecticut, and they have a pretty uh, robust schedule that will take them all around the country. They go into Canada things like that. So you can just go to JurassicQuest.com to get more information. And as I said, we have pictures and video up on our social media. If you have younger children, this is definitely aimed for them. So if they'd like to see a uh, interactive dinosaur display and get to see some uh, exhibits of that, it's definitely something that you may want to consider checking out because the little kids definitely are going to have a fantastic time with that. So, gentlemen, as we look into the week ahead, uh, we got some news that um, Favreau has already written out season four of The Mandalorian. We've got the new season ready to drop this week and has already made plans for Beyond and essentially said he doesn't have an end in sight for it. Now, coming off the news that Liam Neeson apparently uh, said he was offered a Qui-Gon Jinn series and turned it down because he believes that too much of these television series are essentially undermining the film series and that they're no longer the major events that they used to be. Um, you know, he's not taking part in it. We've also got word that at the upcoming Star Wars celebration, the next film is going to be announced. So, Michael, we'll I'll start with you. What do you make about all this? Well, I will say that he's not wrong. I because I, I, I'm kind of torn, because I like the shows, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a big fan of The Mandalorian, I even like The Book of Boba Fett, um, I, you know, and or I, I, I appreciate all these stories and, and fleshing out the universe. It's kind of doing, for Star Wars, I think what the um, the books did after the movies, um, after there were no more movies coming out, or at least nothing uh, in the foreseeable future, kind of fleshing out um, other characters, fleshing out where the stories go, that sort of thing. But I can understand his point where um, people start to, I guess, I don't want to say get numb to them, 
but I, I would agree that, you know, when we waited for episode one, I actually camped out for it um, when I was in Texas um, just to buy tickets, not even to get in line, but just to buy tickets. Um, and it was, it was a major event. I mean, even when they re-released the remastered versions of the Star Wars um, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, those were massive events. And what I, what I think, to his point, um, with a lot of these shows is, um, again, it kind of makes us numb to the, um, the big blockbuster events that these movies used to be or, or could be. And at the same time, they're um, kind of getting people to a point where they've seen so much of this that they're not, that ex- excitement and that anticipation is gone. Um, again, I like the shows. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have them at all. I do think it flushes out the universe. But I would, I, I'm also at a point now where instead of focusing on back characters, um, backstories, I kind of wish we'd go the way of the Mandalorian, where they focus more on new content. You know, and again, um, you know, Obi Wan, I like that series. Uh, you know, I would, a Qui-Gon Jinn series obviously would be interesting, but. But I kind of want to move on. Let's, let's move past some of the lore from the previous films and the post films, and let's just go for something completely different or new, just to kind of make things um, maybe a little bit more exciting and, and give more opportunities for films down the road. That definitely seems like the way to go. And Justin, what's your take on all of this? Yeah, I agree with that actually. So. Um... You know, I'm, I'm also torn on this because and this is an analogy I use a lot and I think it actually applies to a lot more than just Star Wars in, in that, you know, if you eat, if you eat like steak, like a really nice steak every night, eventually it stops being special. Um, it's just an oversaturation. I mean, steak's great. Love it. I can have it a lot, but eventually it just stops being special if you have it every, every, every night. And I think you kind of see this with a lot of franchises where um, whereas what Michael's talking about, it used to be a huge deal when a Star Wars movie came out. You know, people camp out for it. It wasn't just another movie. Um, you know, and I think, unfortunately, Star Wars has kind of got, you know, that's the, the pros and cons, right? You know, obviously we want more Star Wars content, um, at least good Star Wars content, but everything comes at a cost. So I think the, the downside is, well, you know, there's so much of it that it eventually just becomes another sci-fi franchise. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're at. You know, it actually kind of concerns me a little bit that that he says, you know, he has no end in sight. <laughs> and this might just be a me thing, but, um, you know, my issue with, like, The Walking Dead, for instance, was that there was no end in sight. Now, I know the comics now have ended, but, um, you know, that kind of form of storytelling, I you know, I think has some major issues with it where, um, you know, I can already kind of see some problems with how the Mandalorian has been handled. Um, I was not a huge fan of undoing the, uh, um, the major, you know, plot point where, you know, spoilers, uh, for season two, if anyone hasn't seen it, um, I guess skip ahead if, if, uh, this is still a concern, but, um, you know, he finally gets Grogu to the Jedi, which is pretty much the entire point of the show. And then um, it's undone, uh, not in the show itself, but that plot point's undone in a different show. Uh, again, you know, I really like The Mandalorian. It's extremely high quality, but I had a problem with that plot point because it kind of just undoes what 
the whole purpose of the show was to you know to up to that point so i'm kind of curious to see how it goes because you know obviously like i said it's very high co- high quality i really do believe in uh favreau and filoni i think they've uh mostly handled this all really really well so i'm curious to see you know how they kind of take the story and maybe they take it in a new direction that's very very interesting but um it just makes me a little concerned when you know they're just making it out of obligation rather than uh having an idea of like a beginning middle and end yeah and that's what i think the problem is because it's a case of uh finances and when you have a company that's spent over four billion dollars picking up these assets from star wars to willow to Indiana Jones, don't be shocked that they're going to sit there and try to find every single way that they can maximize a return on their investment. And I think we can all understand and agree that the Star Wars series have been better received than the recent movies, with the exception of Rogue One. Uh, I think people have been divided. Sure, they've made money, and that's not a problem. But I think people have been very uh, opinionated about what their take on all of these um, movies have been. And then on top of it, you have to sit there and look at some of the bigger picture situations and say, okay, um, where does the fine line become? You have a cable service that you're trying to launch that we already know, according to their estimates, is about a year away from turning a profit. And what do you have that you can give people? Star Wars content and Marvel content that they cannot get anywhere else. Unfortunately, as we discussed, where where does the balance come between oversaturation and, um, you know, giving people just enough? And that's the problem, because the attitude is as long as people are tuning in, therefore, we're not giving them too much. But as you also know, there does become a um, there does become a limit, and that is where everything, unfortunately, is really getting crazy. And so, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some uh, balance between that. Because if you look at the Star Wars series, Book of Boba Fett divided some people, but The Mandalorian and um, Andor didn't. And then we have an Ahsoka series. We have the Acolyte coming. And we still have the animated shows. And then on top of that, we have all these other things that are rumored out there. And, you know, Obi-Wan, I think most people generally liked it. But, of course, you did have people griping and moaning about that. And it just seems to be a fine balance between there are people that just want to make problems with Star Wars content, and they want to complain about it, and they want to do all of this fun stuff. And how do you handle it? So, you know, you have Iger back in charge, and you're sitting there, and you're looking at this thing, and you're basically having to decide, what do we have that is going to make people happy, make them want to tune in, uh, keep their subscription, and those who have not done so already, to sign up and... um, take part in this but at the same time they sit there and they look at it and then you do come into as we've said what is too much how you know is a new series every three months hitting the um what do you call it hitting the airwaves 
too much. And I think we have basically got to the point where we're saying, yeah, it is. And hopefully, hopefully things are going to get better very soon because, you know, how do you sit there and divide such a large pot up? Because you're going to have people that say, as long as the quality is good, keep them coming. And then you're going to have other people that say, nope, this is too much. We need to take a step back. So really, really interesting uh, stuff there. And it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing because, you know, wow, it is such a balancing act for sure. So next up, uh, building on this, uh, we've also had some news that the Marvel series are going to be taking a step back. A lot of people think that only Secret Invasion and Loki will make it out this year. And the same thing is being bandied about, that it's essentially too much content hitting all at once, and that it may be at this point starting to undermine the um, theatrical releases because we haven't seen the full numbers yet, but we are hearing that they're expecting uh, potentially a 100%, well, not 100%, but a huge uh, drop-off in uh, box office from uh, Ant-Man Quantumania from week one to week two. So, Justin, why don't you start off with that? What is your take on all this? Yeah, it's kind of feeds from uh, the previous point, uh, the, the, the previous topic, because, um, you know, and I, I again, I can just speak for myself. I'm I'm kind of uh, in that same mode with Marvel as I am a little bit with Star Wars, where uh, I thought the that Endgame was such a good you know, cap off point for the, for the franchise, um, that I haven't really, even since then been super driven to go see many of the Marvel, um, movies that have come out since now, obviously I went and saw Spider-Man of course, but, uh, um, and I, I did see pretty much all of the shows that they've, that they've, um, released thus far. Um, but I think that is kind of the issue with, um, you know, that they're having with the new phases is, um, you know, you can't, it's, it's very hard to replicate your success again. Um, and that the pacing and how they handled building up to the Thanos threat, uh, through phase one, which was, you know, at the time, very, very not, it was very novel. Um, there had been superhero movies, of course, before that, uh, many good ones, like Spider-Man, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, you know, the dark, Dark Knight trilogy was still going on at the same time. Um, well, obviously, we had X Men. Uh, so there, there had been successful superhero movies before, but Marvel, the MCU, was a totally different kind of success. It was, it was uh, kind of a new thing to kind of try to like link all these movies together uh, and build towards something. And it was, you know, uh, even leading up to the Avengers, um, it was, it was a big deal. Like it was a really, really big deal. You know, you, and they, they were very uh, subtle, not, I want I don't want to say subtle, but they were very reserved with it. You know, the way that they tied these movies together was, uh, um, you know, pretty, pretty limited, uh, through phase one. And it was almost like unbelievable that you'd get such a big movie like the Avengers. And so when it happened, um, it was such a big deal. Um, you know, and then through phases two, through, um, through two and three, uh, they were really, building up the Thanos um, final confrontation in such like a very, such a natural way um, that now, you know, 
after that's over, you have to kind of redo that again. But it's very difficult to just to just do it the same way. They have to kind of build this up again. And I know they're building up towards King, but um, I think that's kind of the problem that they have right now is that it's it's harder to do an Ant-Man 1 type movie, which is small in scale. Um, that movie was basically just like a heist, <laughs> a heist movie. The villain was, uh, um, I'm pretty sure was just an executive of a company. Um, and then he like stole technology. Um, it, it's been a while since I've seen Ant-Man 1, but it's harder to do like the smaller scale type movies um, now that, you know, the cat's out of the bag kind of thing that people kind of expect the more larger, um, you know, Avengers type threats for, for each Marvel movie. So I think that's kind of the difficult balancing act they're at right, right now is, um, you know, there's kind of what audience expect from a Marvel movie. And then the, you know, the same kind of analogy I go back to before, which is, you know, steak for every night. Um, and then, you know, couple that with it's, it's difficult to kind of keep up with, uh, the different shows and the movies together because they're actually pretty important. I mean, the, um, what, uh, Scarlet Witch was up to in, um, uh, her show was very important to, um, uh, Doctor Strange movie. So this is one of those things where, um, in order to kind of keep up with what's going on in the whole universe, um, it's not just the movies now. You have to kind of keep up with the shows, too. So I think that's something else that they're struggling with. Yeah, that's really good points, because that is, I think a lot of people have said, you see comments online like, do I need to watch these shows in order to understand the movie or which of these shows are absolutely essential for me to watch and that sort of thing? And it's a tricky thing because they're playing fan service, obviously, but at the same time, how do you, de- you know, how do you decide? Because let's be honest, they're making some of these decisions a year or two ago. And let's be very clear. A lot of these decisions were made under a different ownership, a different leadership under Chapman. And he is supposedly, if I understand correctly, he had delegated a lot of stuff that you know, this person's running this, this person's running this, and he tried to essentially put these people in charge of various divisions. And when Iger came back, he essentially said, no, we're going back to the way things were under me. This is not going to have, uh, you know, so much compartmentalization. We're going to have a much more streamlined and efficient uh, path. And you do wonder how many of these shows would have been approved under his leadership. And it's kind of one of those things that if they're already filmed or they're already deep in production and contracts are already signed, you kind of have to go with them. But at the same time, he's sitting there going, well, all right, how do we how do we get these things out without uh, diluting the product? But at the same time, there's also the vision of the future as to, well, where do we go from here? Because let's be honest, anything we're going to be watching next year needs to be in production right now. And um, it's a very tricky, um, very, very tricky slope that they need to um, negotiate because right now I'm just trying to take a quick look at this thing. Uh, You've got Secret Invasion, which is uh, likely due this spring. Um, We already know about the movie, but then you have Echo in the works that was originally thought to be coming out this summer. 
and a lot of people think it's going to be pushed back. Loki season two, I think we're pretty clear that that's coming this year. Uh, Ironheart is supposed to come, and that was going to come out in the fall. They think that's another one that's getting pushed back. You've got Agatha, Coven of Chaos, which is in the process of filming, and then you have Daredevil Born Again, and then, uh, you know, that we don't know beyond that, but of course, you're also looking at all the movies that are already uh, sitting ready to go, and uh, the others that have been announced, because we just got news that on top of it, it looks like there's another Returnals movie coming, it looks like there's a Doctor Strange 3, and it looks like there's also a Shang-Chi 2 that are about to be announced and thrown into the upcoming um, phases. My guess is they'd probably be Phase 6 movies at this point, uh, but that's already on top of a full slate, and you know everybody keeps saying, Oh, Marvel fatigue, Marvel fatigue. When is this stuff going to uh, crash? And if you know it hasn't happened yet, but you do have to wonder, you know, if you keep doing three movies a year and three to four TV series a year, then you run into uh, potential problems. And Michael, did you have anything else you wanted to add on this? Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of uh, expand a bit on both what you and Justin said is that there's a lot of assumption, I think, with these movies that everybody has access to Disney+, Plus, has watched previous series, and can keep up with what's going on. Because let's face it, um, there's a lot of stuff that are introduced in the Disney Plus shows that directly feed into the new movies. Um, you know, for example, like Loki feeds into Ant-Man. Um, you, you, know, you know, Justin already brought up the Scarlet Witch aspect of it. Um, so it's not just a matter of keeping up with all the shows before you watch the movies. It's those folks who don't have the ability or the access to those and missing out on some key components. Now, that's not to say you can't grasp what's going on, you know, if you go to the movies and don't watch any of the shows. Obviously, you can. But there is a lot of expectation that you have seen the shows go and keeping up with all the shows when you go to the movies. I mean, there's a lot of fairly big reveals that come to the shows about what's coming up in the future of the, of the movies. And for those who aren't either keeping up with them, don't have an interest in them, or just don't have the ability to pay for Disney plus or the opportunity to watch Disney plus movies on his shows, um, they're missing out on key plot points that are only delivered there, which I think is part of a problem really is uh, again, I understand you want the, the shows to, feed into the movies. You want there to be a correlation there. You don't want to make separate shows that have no bearing on the universe at all. But when you're when you're asking somebody to, you know, versus something like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was on um, over-the-air television, right? ABC, I believe. Um, or something like that, where folks have access to watch those shows for free if they choose to. And those have some plot, you know, points delivered between the two. But when you're talking about series that you really have to kind of keep up with on a paid streaming service, um, it kind of alienates some of your audience. Um, again, that could be okay if you're looking for something fun to go watch or you're looking for some surprises. But ultimately, it, if you don't really keep up with this stuff, it's you miss some key plot points that are really meant to um, feed into the timeline overall. So I think that's kind of a disservice to the folks who don't have the ability or the access to do that. And again, it does kind of lead into the fatigue aspect as well. 
it's like, is everybody going to have a chance to watch all the streaming shows before they go see the latest one? Like, have they all watched Loki completion for Ant-Man? Again, is it necessary? No. But does it introduce some main points that Ant-Man um, delivers on? Absolutely. Um, so I think it's just it just kind of leads to a, a disconnect a bit between what they're trying to accomplish and the ability to accomplish it across the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it'll be so interesting to see what's happening going forward because um, we have WonderCon, and obviously that is often more TV-focused and not always uh, a ton of films coming up. But we also have San Diego Comic-Con coming up later this summer. There was not a D23 Expo this year, so um, we also have CinemaCon coming up, and it'll be interesting to see what is being promoted. Um, you know, we can, we'll have plenty of time to speculate on that down the line. You know, like one of the things that I've been kicking around just to do a tiny bit of a teaser is I wonder with them filming the new Alien movie right now, will they drop a trailer at San Diego Comic-Con? You know, there's part of me thinking, well, sure, maybe something will be coming, but at the same time, when are we going to see it? If they're filming it now, are they going to drop it out in uh, December? Are they going to stick it out next year? And if it is coming out later next year, then we may not see anything until next year. But, you know, all this interesting stuff to debate, which is what makes those shows so exciting. And, you know, while Disney, even last year, had a reduced presence at San Diego Comic-Con due to having D23, they still had a big Marvel showcase where they rolled out their plans. And it's it's going to be interesting because I think it's a case of that you also had all of these shows that were planned during the pandemic, during the lockdown. You had all these writers who had lots of time on their hands, who uh, some of whom were extremely productive during that time. And now there was a frenzy to um, get as much content out as they could. But at the same time, now you've created a glut. And that is where the real problem seems to be. Uh, uh, quality and quantity are a great thing. But what happens if quantity starts to overtake quality? That's when problems come in. So the next thing I wanted to discuss is we had the big reveal this week during the Sony State of Play for the uh, Suicide Squad kill the Justice League. We've obviously heard about this a while. We've had a few little teases. And now we got the extended gameplay, and uh, we heard the people grumbling about, oh, this is going to be a loot box-ridden game, and this is going to be this, and this is going to be that. So we'll start with you, Michael. What did you make of the announcement, and do you think people, uh, the concerns that people have are valid? So I, I absolutely agree with the concerns that people have. Um, so... I think one thing that Rocksteady had always done well was make great single-player, um, story-driven games. You know, the the whole um, Arkham series, the Batman series, um, they've always been um, really good at focus on that. And when you look at some of the, the story elements, uh, not the gameplay itself, but some of the story, um, you know, events that they showed off, you know, it kind of looks like that story is, is being tried to be driven that way. Um, which is, I think, the only positive thing I took from that. The other thing is, you know, it, it seemed, and I, and I understand these games are in development for a long time, um, but games as a service in general tend to not be very successful. I mean, we look at Avengers, 
we look at Anthem as two good examples. Um, you know, they tried to do what Destiny and Destiny 2 had kind of capitalized on. And even if you're not a Destiny or Destiny 2 fan, I don't think there's a there would be people that would debate that as a game of a service, that's probably the, the gold standard that people are trying to, to live up to. Um, but as we saw with things like Avengers, if it doesn't get the support or the, the, the gameplay value, uh, it gets shut down. Now, again, with, with Avengers, you can still play it. You, don't, you know, They're giving away all the loot stuff that you had to pay for for free. Um, they're gonna have the, you're still going to be able to play the game. But as a game as a service, it pretty much was a flop. Um, and, I, and a couple of things about this is I'm just not a big fan of that, that particular model in general. The other thing from the gameplay perspective, it looked a little bit too, I don't know. I've heard a couple of um, other outlets kind of kind of state that things like King Shark is running around with a gun um, and using melee weapons as opposed to just you know biting somebody's head off, utilizing his skills as a shark, uh, more or less, a mutant shark, um, to, take, to dispatch enemies. Like, why is he running around with a gun, right? Um, I also, you know... The gameplay to me just doesn't look... It looks the samey as every other game um, that's kind of out there where it's a um, multiplayer shooter um, gathering... Um, grinding your way up to get, getting certain uh, weapon upgrades and that sort of thing. And, and with, the game, with a developer like Rocksteady, with, with those games in general, I'll be honest, I don't like multiplayer-specific games. And while you probably can play it single-player... Um, it doesn't look like that's going to be the, the true method to play it. And I just really have zero interest in multiplayer only games. Um, so um, for me, that would be, it's already a hard pass just based on what I've seen. Um, maybe we'll get to see an opportunity for um, something to become some redemption out of this. But again, even games like Gotham Knights, which wasn't truly a game as a service game, but kind of had some of that same model in place. A lot of the, upgrades and, and stuff like that um it just just to me it's a lot of grinding it's just not a lot of focused gameplay and i'd rather especially with a superhero move a superhero game or some game like this i'd rather have a story driven narrative single player game than just another um shooter based multiplayer game with a superhero skin on top of it yeah, very well said justin your take please yeah i'm pretty much in the same boat and um, I, I also, when this game was announced, I, I was always, I was already a little torn just because I, I'm a huge fan of the Arkham games. So I, I like Rocksteady's work. I think they make a, a, a great combat system. Um, you know, and, and not just combat system, but Arkham games are great in all sorts of different ways, but I've never really been huge on the Suicide Squad just as a concept, just as a as a team, as a superhero team, there's not really my, my cup of tea. Um, as far as I just don't really find that premise super interesting personally. Uh, so I was already a little torn. Um, and I, I agree with all of Michael's points. I, I do have some concerns. Now, I don't know if they've said anything about how, you know, they're going to monetize it, but it does remind me a little bit of the Avengers game, which, um, you know, I was actually pretty excited for when they were showing things off initially for it, just because, you know, Avengers game <laughs> gets to play as Iron Man, Hulk, uh, Captain America. Like I thought, um, I was, I was looking forward to that, but, um, unfortunately when it, when that came out, it was, it was 
um, you know, it had a lot of monetization in it that was, um, wasn't great. And it, like what Michael was uh, pointing out to, you know, on, um, the games as a service that can work, um, in some limited capacity, but, uh, I, I think there, there, it ends up causing more problems than, than it solves. Um, you know, we are seeing uh, games getting more expensive. You know, a lot of games are, are now launching, you know, and I, I think we talked about this, that this was coming, that a lot of uh, games that aren't going to have, uh, you know, a service model are probably going to start launching at $70, $80. Um, that, that was already coming. Um, but uh, I would almost prefer that than um, to kind of just have to play this uh, loot, like, you know, to play with like loot boxes and, and things like that. Very uh, tricky slope again because you sit there and you look at it and you go, "Wow, the you know the Avengers has been the definitive." Okay, this one did not work, but then you had people that said, "Well, I'm okay with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy," and then you had people who sat there and looked at some of the other games, and I think we can agree that like Midnight Suns people weren't as big on a card-based game. I personally thought it was just a bit slow because there was a lot of very long segments going between that and the action. And we all know that these games cost quite a bit uh, for getting the licensing. And you look at them and you say, okay, well, I think most people like the idea of a Justice League, uh, you know, dark side, where the Suicide Squad are taking them on and combating them at the same time. Like you said, I don't think anybody wanted a third-person shooter Suicide Squad, maybe an open-world situation or something like that. We've heard people say, oh, the bullet sponges. And I think in some ways this is kind of the problem with aspects of the industry because the game has never launched, has not launched. And I think a large segment of the population uh, gaming population has already had a negative opinion of it based on what they've seen in this trailer and based on the perception about all the loot boxes and that sort of thing. We saw that issue with one of the Star Wars games, and we all know that that uh, was <laughs> not well received at all. And so with that, I want to move forward to the next uh, setup. And that is uh, the report that Ubisoft apparently had said during an earnings call that they will indeed be at E3 should it happen. Reedtop has already uh, come out and said absolutely it's happening. We've already got our confirmations to go and cover. So let's look at this. We already know the big three are not supposed to be there. Uh, depending on what happens with the Microsoft Activision uh uh, merger that could also affect whether Blizzard, Activision are there, whether um, Bethesda is there. So let's look at it right now. Based on the little bit of information we know, Ubisoft is the biggest uh, publisher that's going to be there. They had said they would have a lot to show off. So let's flip the dial. We look at a game like Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, it is due to come out before E3. With this kind of negative backlash, is this the kind of game that we could A, see them say, you know what, we're going to delay it another four to six weeks to polish it up, which is basically code for 
let's take advantage of Summer Game Fest and E3 and put it out in front of the public to try to uh, push away some of this negative stuff that is already brewing about it. And in doing so, does that essentially validate the use of an in-person show and the expense and trouble that come with it versus throwing trailers online? So, Michael, we'll start with you. So I'm going to go back to the Avengers um, analogy because Avengers was heavily marketed at E3 um, at other shows, and there was lots of negative feedback that came from those shows when they were played, when they played it. A lot of it came from the, the graphics and, like, the, the character models, um, and they didn't even know that it was a game of a service, I don't think, at that point, or at least not. Um, it wasn't apparent, I guess, from the gameplay, but it didn't help Avengers at all by having it in person. So... Um, so I think it could easily hurt the game even more by having it in person than help it. Um, I, I, that's where I think, um, I think a lot of times they're hoping that these law, now would, would it, would they, would they push it back just to get some more polished on it? Maybe, but even if it bombs it at, um, E3 or bombs at Games Fest or anything else, they're still going to have to release it. It's not going to matter. Um, so I would think they probably are going to try to get it out. If there's a concern that it might not do well at the shows, I think the concern they're going to try to push it out before those shows. Um, because obviously the timing has a lot more to do with um, cost and trying to beat other games to the market that are due out at the same time and, and to get some excitement around it. Um, I don't know if there's any DC, um, uh, what, what the DC movie's like, um, you know, the Flash and some of those timing-wise are, um, but they certainly could be trying to um, work around the timing of a, of a DC movie or show release to the gameplay release. But my, but my thing is, I think if there's already negative, unless they, unless they really feel that the game doesn't warrant some of the negative, and again, I don't think the negativity has been around um, – what was shown as much as it is what the game is actually going to be, and I don't see that changing. I think, if, unlike Avengers, which I think had a pretty good lead time from release when it was shown, I think this game would have had to have been shown off last year to make a difference. Um, so I, I don't see it being pushed or even just shown at E3. Even if it's pushed, uh, they might have it as a demo, but honestly, I don't think that's going to make any difference for the game itself and could potentially hurt it in the process. Yeah, that's some very good points. Justin, your take, please? No, I completely agree with that. I mean, there's just a lot of risks that go with that. Um, you know, the, that's the thing about the, the live shows is that uh, it's a bit of a cost or a, a risk-reward system where, um, you know, we even saw this at uh, the, the few times I went to PAX. I mean, when you go and you see a, um, a really good demo for a game that hasn't, you know, that's still in development, um, it's, it's a big deal. It causes, it creates a lot of buzz. You know, I was, you know, obviously the, the press goes back and they write about it. Uh, the people that go see it that aren't part of the press, they talk to their friends about it. Um, but on the flip side, a couple of the demos I saw back when I, I went to PAX, uh, they were, they, they weren't, um, that impressive. And I think that could have the opposite effect where, um, oh, you know, it, then it's then the, the narrative of your of your PR kind of uh, not PR but marketing kind of changes because then um, you know then all the the communication about the upcoming game is, is about concern. So I think that's kind of the the risk reward of um, 
you know, showing off a game um, that isn't in a releasable state yet uh, at a at a live event like E three, um, you know, that that's uh, it, it can pay off, but uh, but you have to really really make sure that your demo is good. Right, and that's always like you said, risk and reward. So. Um... It'll be interesting to see who shows up and what goes from there because we're still waiting to see what Summer Game Fest is going to have in terms of their live day, who's going to be at that, and then, of course, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, Nintendo, again, you know, there were the rumors. They, they, there were always the, well, it's a rumor that the big three are not attending. Nintendo has already come out and said they're not going to be there, but they're not ruling out 2024. So it will be an interesting uh, thing. One last thing I wanted to uh, touch on today is that we've got reports that um, the very potentially troubled, uh, we've heard that it's supposedly very good, but of course there's online campaigns against Star based on his uh, uh, recent incidents, so on and so forth, but apparently uh, Warner Brothers is going to show The Flash in its entirety at CinemaCon. So, uh, Michael, why don't we uh, go with you? What do you make of this? Well, I like the fact that Michael Keaton's going to be in it. Yeah, I think that's definitely some good news. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I'm not a fan of the character, of the actor. Well, it's not even the actor. I, I, didn't, I didn't think he was um, well casted, regardless of any controversy. Um, I, I just don't. I don't like the look of the Flash in the movies. I don't like the the how he's portrayed in the movies. So honestly, the only way I would probably see it is for free <laughs> at, or on TV. Um, so if as long as my and that's been true for all the DC movies, I don't think I've seen any. I don't think I've paid to see any of them. Um, thankfully, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, this is another one that obviously would be good to see at CinemaCon to get a, a, a first look at it. Um, because honestly, I think it'd be the only way I'd actually see it. Uh, Justin, do you have a take on this? Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as well. Uh, I, again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the Suicide Squad as well. I've just never really been huge on the Flash just um, as a character uh, to begin with. So it was already kind of an uphill battle. Um, and then, you know, our previous discussions about the, uh, about the DC Cinematic Universe still apply uh, to the, to this movie in that, you know, the state of that cinematic universe is kind of, uh, kind of a mess. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm, I have a little bit of optimism. Um, I'm trying to be optimistic about their, their reboot, but this, this movie is definitely still kind of like the, the last of the, of the old, um, DC cinematic universe as, as we know it. Um, so, uh, I, I might go see, I guess it depends on, you know how much buzz it has when it comes out um uh obviously the michael keaton being in it is probably like the big selling point but um i think when we were talking about that trailer um the point i had made back then was it really does seem like they're kind of chasing the spider-man uh no way home um concept which there it, it seemed like it fits so much better just because it's you know the the story centers on peter parker i wonder if um michael keaton being the selling point to go see this flash movie if that kind of undermines 
the flash part of the, of the flash movie like if you're going to go see this movie because michael keaton's batman is in it then isn't it really more like a batman movie and i guess the risk there is um if there isn't enough of him in it because it has to center on the flash for because it is a flash movie um is it going to be one of those cases where it causes disappointment because like oh hey michael keaton's back and this is a big deal oh but he's only in it for like 10 minutes so that's kind of the concern i have for it but i guess i'm 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 interested to hear what the what the uh, um the impressions are coming out of cinemacon uh so well i guess we'll have to wait and see yeah it's going to be very interesting to see where this all plays out and uh, lots of crazy stuff going on that is going to do it for us this week folks i hope everybody takes care and we will see you again next week